0: Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. This podcast is part of a series called Listening to the Stories of Healing that explores the many diverse stories of First Nations peoples. We will look at the many diverse experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and how these narratives have shaped the amazing work that is happening in the First Nations communities across Australia. Here at Emerging Minds, we like to call it the secret garden. The stories and experiences that non-Aboriginal people don't always get to see or hear. Whilst these stories include sadness and hurts and sometimes can feel uncomfortable to listen to, it is through listening to these narratives that you will get a glimpse of the deep wisdom, knowledge and healing practices of families and communities and understand why our First Nations peoples are the oldest continuing culture in the world. Welcome everyone, this is Dana Shen, an Aboriginal cultural consultant working with Emerging Minds. In this podcast, we'll be talking to Daryl Bingapore, a and Duty Torres Strait Islander man who has faced much adversity, yet still has the strength and resilience in his own journey of healing, to share his story so that others can learn from his experiences. We are sitting in a healing place which is part of Raukin, a rural Aboriginal community on the lower lakes in the southeast of South Australia. The local community has restored this house to support those affected by removal as part of the stolen generation, a place to connect back with what has been taken, because for some First Nations peoples, this has been broken and can't be restored. The Raukan community rallied to restore this place for healing, a place to rebuild, make new connections with other people that share the same history and adversity. Welcome, Daryl. Thank you so much for talking to us today. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: My name's Darryl Bingapore, and that's from my father's side, who's a Torres Strait Islander, man who uh, traveled in his early years and met my mother, Irene Carter. Irene Carter is a uh, descendant from Raukum and the Nunavine Nation. So that's uh, hence uh, my connection to country. Uh, I come from a family of six, I've uh, a remaining family of three, because the past our of, of family members have passed away. A little bit about myself, uh, I guess being removed at a very early age, I was assimilated into uh, you know, Western culture and Western society, and that uh, in itself has been a, a journey for me. So I didn't grow up on country. I'm back on country, and I'm still on my journey and that's continuous. My connection to country has always been there and that's something you feel inside. It's a lived experience, but it's also a felt experience. I always knew I was a part of country, even though I didn't live on country. I was taken as a young person. Over the years, that meant for me that it was a, a constant juggling of connections to family and kinship ties and we moved around a lot. I was fostered a lot to many different families as part of that process went. Being taken when I was about eight or nine years old meant that uh, yeah life was uh, full of ups and downs for me so uh, in many ways it, it gave me lots of different experiences and it prepared me in many ways for my journey coming home. Simulation began for me at a very early age. And I didn't understand what the assimilation process was or what it stood for, but I actually grew up in it and became part of the assimilation process.
0: Daryl, that sounds so tough. I and mean, you were saying that you had a lot of families that you, that you moved through and were a part of after being removed. Were any of these Aboriginal families?
1: No, not one. Not one. Uh, I spent time with mainly white families. I was uh, raised in a boys' home. Salvation Army Boys Home at Kent Town at Fullerton. Exposed to Christianity at an early age uh, through the early part of my childhood with my family, but being in the boys' homes and in orphanages, and that was always a part of my upbringing as well. So I had a strong connection with faith and, and, and religion at an early age. I was exposed to that. So I was always mindful of, of what that meant for me. And part of that process, I guess, is thinking. What's fair, you know? What's fair, how, how can this happen? But it makes you think about those things in a way that you, you kind of have to embrace them and learn to live with it. You don't have to make sense of everything that happens straight away because it, it, it doesn't make sense and it, it never made sense to me. I, I struggled with it for a long time to make sense of whose fault was it? was it? Was it my fault? Was it my mother's fault? Was it my father's fault? How could it happen? But, yeah, it did. It happened. So not having a choice in that whole process, it becomes something you've just got to get on with and you've, and you've got to accept it and you've got to really try to, to embrace it the best way you can and make the best of what you can for the time that you're there. And that's, that's you know, you're there for a long time mm-hmm. and it's
0: taken a long time. That sounds like it was so confusing as a young person, Daryl, to actually try to make sense of any of it. As you've got older, and as you've got into adulthood, what have been some of the other impacts on you from being part of the Stolen Generation?
1: A sense of fairness. I couldn't get my head around what's fair and what's not. I became involved in social justice issues very early in life because I I experienced, uh, not racism in many words as the black and white issue, but racism in many different forms of being different why was this happening to me? As a young black boy, it was difficult to come to terms with. And being different, was it because I was just taken away? Was it because I just came from a broken home? Or was it because I was black? I you know, I was, I was working through all of these things. And and, and I, I was in a boys' home that had lots of boys from different backgrounds, different races, different religions, white boys, Greek boys, Italian boys, you know, we were all, there at the same time. So I didn't see it as being a black and a white issue. I just, it was a hard time in my life where I guess families were experiencing hard times, and the result of that was me being in a boys' home. Uh, it wasn't to me at that point a black and a white issue. It was just an issue that I was confronted with, that families were faced with hardship in their life. Uh, and that involved lots of people. It wasn't just. Mainly black people. There were a lot of a lot of black boys, you know, and lot, a lot of nunity boys, a lot of traditional boys, and people from all over South Australia, people from from different states. And to me, it became about what's fair in life. You know, why is it happening? So I took on a sense of social justice issues very early on in life, uh, about how people were treated and why they were treated the way they were, and. Uh, You develop your life skills based on your upbringing, and the hardships you encounter. Whether you're black, white, or brindle, you know, those issues are real, and and, and that's there for for everybody to experience, and and you do the best you can. Social justice issues, issues, to me, became a very big part of my life, and I found myself drawn to a sense of fairness, you know? It was almost like, you know, the Bronze Aussie, fair days work, fair days pay, And I just saw that as a very broad spectrum. It wasn't about me as an individual. It was about what was just fair.
0: Daryl, as you're talking about all the experiences that you went through, but also the other people that you saw, different cultures, um, you didn't think of it as as necessarily a white or black issue. I wonder if you could talk a bit more then about what it meant for you in being part of the Stolen Generation. What did that have you thinking?
1: Interesting you should say that because I think for a long time I never really considered myself a stolen gen person. That in a sense is an important component of how I perceived uh, a sense of fairness because I didn't see this as just being a black or a white issue. In times of hardship it was about what families experienced whether they were black or white. I grew up thinking I wanted to get a job, I wanted to get an education, I wanted to belong to something. I wanted to own something. I didn't want to go through this process anymore of not feeling like I belonged to anything. Where was I? I was in a boy's home. I went to different families. I went there without a sense of belonging. So it, it, uh, for me, it it wasn't about being stolen. It was about finding a place that was mine. I didn't actually really think about being stolen till many, many, many years later. Uh, I never really looked at myself as being a person that came from stolen generation, until I'd worked through all the issues that come from being stolen, removal from family, removal from community, removal from country, the loss of language, the loss of kinship, the loss of family ties, extended family. I spent many many a good years developing what I thought would be the skills that would see me having a better life and not having to put my children or my friends uh, through those tired times that I went through. So I didn't really see myself as stolen. And uh, I just looked at the positive side of that and thought, well, I've just got to create a better life. You know, I've got to, I've got to find a way that I can, I can embrace this and it's going to work for me. So I concentrated on just head down, bum up and just, just go for it. And I, I adopted that at a very early age. Well, the only way I'm going to get through this is—is is I've got to survive it. If I let this get to me, you know. And those skills and the experiences that I had, I started to develop at a very early age, and they gave me the strength and the knowledge. You know, I gained a, a, a lot of experiences through through all of those places where I'd been, and and the experiences with different families and the family structures, and. You know, I spent uh, quite a bit of time with a with Greek family growing up and uh, in many ways uh, the, 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 their family structure was similar to, to what I experienced as, at an early age with their extended family. Lots, lots of people around, lots of family around and um, it reminded me of, of what I didn't have but I adapted so well to it because I didn't have it. It wasn't by choice, it was, I had no choice. So I had to make the, the most of that. And uh, that was a good experience for me. As sad as we might think it at the time, having no family and being fostered out, and uh, I guess you look at it and you think, well, you know, it, w- it was a good time. I had people around me who cared about me, and I spent the best part of my life with that family, and I still keep in contact with them. Not so much now because I've, I've gone on and, and lived that, that part of life where My family's grown up now. I got married and I aspired to go on and have a good family and a a good family life through work and through a career. But that prepared me for coming home as well.
0: Daryl, I can hear that you had so many different experiences growing up, good and bad. How has that affected the raising of your children and how you parent your children?
1: Good question. I think um, if I look back at it now, I've got to be... Brutally honest and say, I was very, very ill prepared. When you don't have family and you're not brought up in family, you don't know what you're missing. You know, you're too young. You don't understand that process. But when you when you grow up without that support of family, and particularly culturally, you're very well ill equipped. So you know, it's not just about being able to provide in a family. I always thought it was it was important to put a roof over my my family's head and food in the cupboard and be a staunch worker and be a good provider. But that's not what family is. Family is much, much more than that. We quite often get the material aspect of life confused with the kinship side of life and the connection with what family is really all about.
0: What has supported you to heal through a lot of these tough times? What has given you strength?
1: Wow. The things that have given me strength in that, I guess, is is the journey in itself, the downs, the disappointments. When you mess up in life, you learn the hard way. And and, uh, it's about finding people that you can, you have a sense of trust and a connection with, who matter, who make a difference in your life. They're there to support you, not only in good times, but in bad times. So I think um, that's what I learned. I learned it was important to have those connections at an early age. And and strength comes from disappointment. Strength comes from concrete learning. Strength comes from making mistakes. And having a vision and a discipline that having made mistakes is what drives you to get it right. Uh, And when you've had so many disappointments in your life, all you strive for is you just want to get it right you know, and look for the the least path of resistance in the process. So you become astute in many ways. You become very people-orientated. You become a bit like a psychologist, you know. like You read into things at an early age. You start to discover uh, body language, what relationship is about, what conversation is about. You listen intently. And outcomes, you know, what you learn in that friendship that you may have... Uh, had with a person or
0: a relationship. Daryl, thanks so much for sharing that and all the learning you're having about this. It's going to be so great for other people to hear about it too. You spoke earlier of coming home and connecting back with country. What's that been like for you?
1: In a nutshell, awesome experience but very humbling. I'll go back a little bit with, with this story because I think it's important that having an early introduction to faith And Christianity at an early age has been a legacy throughout my life where I struggled for what was right and what was wrong and what was a sense of fairness because as a kid I sometimes I sat back and I said God you know like, why is this happening you know it's not right people shouldn't have to suffer this way but it makes you who you are and and you, you have to roll with it you have to go with it uh, there's no right or there's no wrong way. There's no defined yes or no with me. Uh, a lot of it was about let's just roll with this and see where it goes. But I always had a strong, disciplined mind, a strong sense of who I was from a very early age, and I think that's what guides you through life. I think um, being stolen, Jen. Now I can I can look back at myself and say, you know what? Yeah, I am. I am. I I am. I'm a result of being a, a, a stolen child. In a time uh, that was pretty traumatic, and embrace it. Embrace it in a way where it's, it, it was good for me, and it hasn't just all been bad. Sure, there's been lots of tough times through that process, but I, I couldn't have become the person I am today if I hadn't been through it. I, I you know, I, I always thought that um, the best way to to tackle life would be to to look for the best in people and give the best in yourself. So I grew up that way. I grew up looking for the best in other people, and if I wanted the best from them, I had to give the, the best of myself, and uh, that's the way I embraced life wherever I went.
0: Daryl, where do you think these values came from? You know the way you see the world.
1: I think it's inherent. I think as a Nauruidi person, as a culturally and historically, I think it's it's part of you, who you are culturally and as a person. Along the way I, I spent time with, with, with lots of different people and lots of different families. When I started work as a young man, I aspired to be to join the army. you know I came from a very regimented upbringing, you know institutionalized regimented lifestyle. I thought oh, I want to I I join the army. I wanna, I want to be a leader. You know I saw myself as, as somebody that, that was part of the team. You know, you learn to be part of a team at a very early age if you want to survive. If you go against the flow, um, you're not going to get far. So I aspired to be around people and a people person, and you know, one of my aspirations was to join the army and be a soldier. But that was short-lived. Uh, I soon discovered that wasn't really for me. It was just a part of what was happening to me as I was growing up. And then I went on to join the. Uh, well, I became involved in in work in a structured Uh, lifestyle. I became a leader at work through a team leader. I went to TAFE and did middle management courses and then I became involved in um, the youth justice programs as as I myself found it difficult to work through having, having been taken and having to work through that whole process I knew how difficult it was. And the problem with it that I discovered at a very early age was that there weren't very many people that could interpret it from where a victim comes from. So my passion was to work in that area because I think I had particular skills in talking to people and putting it into a different context and being able to, I guess, personalise it and translate it. They're the skills you, you learn at a very early age. In life, through work, through relationships, through friendships, they're the skills you get. Um, there are skills that you fine-tune and, and develop as you go go through life.
0: Daryl, it just sounds like, and as you've been talking, that there's been so many ups and downs in your journey, in this journey of healing.
1: has. Yes, it has indeed.
0: It has indeed. Um,
1: it hasn't been without its pitfalls, though. I've tried to have a relationship on many different occasions. I got married. On I, I went through a 12-year relationship. I had... Uh, children in that time, I've been in uh, mixed marriage relationships, somehow they just never seemed to work out. And and it wasn't until years later that I that I actually took the time to sit back and look at that and think to myself, well, why? why? You had all the skills, mate. You had, you had the intelligence. You had the tools. Why? What, what was wrong? But um, I think the emotional content and the family support that goes with building that foundation and the strength that's really, really possible to have a, a, a strong relationship and family. You don't question it until you—until it's gone. And not never having it, I was always behind the eight ball, you know, never having the, the support and the skills uh, and and uh, the family value structure that went with that. I found myself in, behind the eight ball a lot of the time. So, you know, it became a hit and miss in the end. And I, I couldn't really, I look back at it now and I, I can't beat myself up over it. It was just that I, was, I wasn't i was ready for it. I was poorly equipped to take on the role as a father and a, and have a family.
0: Yeah, um, even without the experiences you went through, parenting and relationship and, and having kids is so hard anyway. Have you got any grandchildren, Daryl?
1: I've got two grandsons. I've got a lovely daughter. I've got two great sons.
0: What is your vision for them?
1: My vision for them is to just to just to be happy and have a righteous life and be happy. Be happy within the families that they create, but to be happy within themselves. You know, my daughter's wanting to, to do um, work within the Aboriginal community now. And I grew up uh, as a, you know, I spent some time in, 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 in Sapol as a community constable. And she said to me um, in the early age, um, stages of, of wanting to get away and, and, and give back to community. And it's a funny term, isn't it, give back to community? Give back to your people. We're, you know, uh, we think, you know, like that term is always referred to people that, like myself, they, that are looked at as Johnny-come-latelys or coconuts, you know, like give back. What are you giving back? I can't give back what was taken away. You know, we, it's it's about trying to find a sense of ourselves. What, what what am I giving back? I had nothing to give. I had nothing to give to start with, but me. And and I thought to myself, when she said, "Oh, I want I want to do things with the Aboriginal community. I want to get involved in, in that type of work." Dad, to do, you know, your name was so well known around uh, Adelaide, and working in different services, and um, people talk about you. And like I go, you know, I, I shook my head and I thought to myself, you know, like, do you know how hard it is to hear your daughter when you're a stolen gen person that she's now wanting to go come back to country and community and give something back. And I thought to myself, how do I give you and support you what I never had? How can I support you through this process that I found difficult myself? I wasn't not, I was never a part of my community, I was never a part of what you're looking for. And I can't give you the advice that you're looking for. As a Stolen Gen person, it's very, very difficult just to um, even encourage her to a point where she might gain something from that. Because I, I feel quite aggrieved by it, the whole process. I can't give something that was taken away that I never had to begin with.
0: Yeah, and also something that you're just learning for yourself.
1: Then I'm just discovering for myself. So it's, it's, it's a difficult place to be in. Coming back to country for me is, uh, has been uh, enlightening. And if it hadn't been, I guess, with my substance abuse and my burnout and the work that I was doing, and the friends, you know, I, I've got some amazing friends that were there for me in my time of need. And if it hadn't been for those friends, I sometimes wonder where I, I would be. But having a sense of faith and um, spiritual belief in the process of coming home and I always knew who I was inside. It's just that I was just having difficulty getting there. That's all. It was just, I was a few hurdles here and there, and I knew I had to move away. I never had a sense of community or or family, and there was this constant searching for something, what was missing, and I was I was quite troubled by it. I could honestly say it. Too. Coming home was a very good grounding for me, but it's been a real eye opener too, because. Uh, I've got to go through this whole coconut process again, this whole Johnny-come-lately process again. But you know what, if, you, if you've got a strong sense of who you are, I think the walk is, is, is relatively without too many hurdles. And if you just just remember why you're there, and, or, and what you discover is not always going to be to your liking anyway. You know, coming home wasn't, wasn't about hey, happy times. It was about um, Finding
0: a sense of myself. Through the journey that, that you've been speaking about, do you think it's important to share this journey with other men? Why would this be important, do you think?
1: Interesting you say that. I think that, all, that comes from, one, it comes from the type of work that you get involved in as life progresses, army life. It was a sense of family, a sense of belonging, a police force, a family, cultural, protective type background. Group settings, cultural men's groups—they're all important aspects of finding yourself. Sitting with with like-minded people, like-minded men, men who have shared the same experiences, men who have been through the same trauma. So we had we had a basic um, common interest, I, I guess, good or bad. We had a sense of belonging. We sat in that circle. We shared our stories. Hence, so I became involved with the um, uh, Christian Masoch Club. It's not about faith so much, although it is a Christian motorcycle club. Um, it's a sense of community and we like to involve the Aboriginal community in that. So that's my aspect on and my, my slant on the brotherhood, because I like to involve the community as part of the outreach that I do with the club. And that's a, a brotherhood thing. If I can get them to, to look at what community means for me through their eyes, and they take that back and share that with their families, well, that's a wonderful thing.
0: Given everything you've learnt, Daryl, what could other men in the community do to support each other in healing?
1: We can take the time to listen to each other. I think it's important for men to spend time with men uh, because we are people, persons, because we need to interact with each other because it's about our well-being. Spiritually it's about our well-being, it's about being in the presence of another man who can relate to to what you've experienced, good or bad. So, um, you know, put simply, it is is a sharing time in discussion, in fun and in hardship. It's important for our well-being, our spiritual and emotional well-being in that process of sharing.
0: Thanks so much, Daryl, for being so honest about your experience, the ups and downs and the healing journey. Was there any final words you want to share before we finish?
1: I don't know about that. I think, you know, my parting words would be if I could pass on anything to anybody, it would be always look for the best in somebody and give the best in yourself because it's not about a right or a wrong and that's the best bit of advice I can give.
0: Thank you for joining us in our podcast series, listening to stories of healing. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.